model. We've been talking about it since the very first week of January. Your neighbor's not your model and your ideal. Your mom and, listen, your mom and dad are not the ideal of what you want to become. All right? Um, I am not the ideal. Trust me. Right? I am not. Jesus is the model that you look at to aspire to become like. And so the simple question to begin with is, did you ask yourself today in the interactions with your family, interactions with people here, the interactions in the car, were you aware of how you were being like Christ? Like, I'm not saying wear a bracelet, WWJD. I don't mean that. I'm saying... Are you living with this deep conviction as Jesus as your model and the steps that you take that you are aware that in your interactions with people that you were responding like Christ? Like for this, this week at your, at your job. Man, did people know that you were a Christ follower and want to know him because of how you acted? Do, do your children... Know what Jesus looks like and asks, and looks like and acts like, because of how you acted and responded this week to them. Like, do you? And here's the deal: when Jesus says, talks about, you know, keeping in step with Him, I'll just be honest with you: if you're really nice to me, it's really easy for me to be loving and kind to you. It's really easy to be loving, compassionate, and caring if I know you love me in return. But Jesus has the audacity to say, well, you need to love your enemy. You need to carry, you need to walk the extra mile with your enemy. You need to show those people who hate you compassion, mercy, and love. So my question isn't, are you being nice to the people who are being nice to you? <laughs> right? Because that's pretty clear and simple. All of us are going to do that. Because it makes us feel good. I'm asking, biblically speaking, are you expressing the ideal and the likeness of Jesus to those who you would classify as being opposed to you, who would classify as being your enemies, who are, who, who are classified as those who are oppressing you, who are being mean to you, who are overwhelming to you, who are making you feel like life is difficult? Are those the people, that's the people I'm talking about, are you revealing Christ's image in, in Christ's Christ's persona and his actions to those people. Because that's what it means to be a Christ follower. And so as we talk about Jesus as our model, that's what I'm talking about. Last week we said Jesus is our model in this idea of like the Sabbath, that God created Sabbath. We, need to, we are created to, to rest, not just to set a day aside to celebrate Sabbath, because that's that's like an Old Testament understanding of Sabbath. But the Sabbath is, yes, that's a great image, and it's great to keep a day set apart. But that ultimately that Jesus, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We recognize Jesus said, mm, hey, I looked at that day. I am its fulfillment. If you want rest and Sabbath, I am it. Jesus equals my Sabbath. He is the one who gives me rest. He is the one who gives me comfort. He is the one who gives me peace. So that in the midst then of my life, we said the temporary insanity of life, 
which is temporary because we're going to die soon, right? It be 40 to 60 years from now, right? It's a short period of time, right? In the context of my temporary insanity of life, I find rest in the middle of my storm in the person of Jesus. And so when the mean people are around me and oppression is happening, I'm like, I have rest and I have peace. Literally, on the inner part of my being because of Christ's work in me so that I can model Jesus. See, Sabbath isn't a day that we... It's really not, it's not a day necessarily so much just we celebrate. It's not even about us as individuals. It's about Sabbath rest so that we can be Jesus to those who need him. And so we dive now into verse 12 of chapter 6. We just left with that verse 11. In these days, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12, reading from the English Standard Version. In these days, he went out, Jesus, to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named Apostles are sent ones. And here's the list of them. <clears throat> Simon, whom we call Peter. Andrew, his brother. And James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. And Matthew and Thomas. And James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James. I guarantee you, Judas, the son of James, want to make sure, hey, I'm Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Right? So Jesus pulls what we proverbially call in college an all-nighter. Like, do you remember those days, right, in college, where you would be, you would sit and go, oh, no. The reality, like, you're just coming from the intramural fields, doing something fun, and you all of a sudden, you leave the coffee shop, hanging out with your friends, and all of a sudden you look and go, I have a test tomorrow morning, my first period class at 9 a.m. Oh, Jesus! And prayer just all of a sudden took off in your heart, right? And you begin to pray, Jesus, if you'll just be with me on this test. Because you know this test over here represents life for you. If you don't pass it, it's going to be miserable. I'm going to fail out. I'm going to do nothing for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a pastor someday. God, no, right? It's like this whole dynamic going down. I'm like, this is the end. And so what do we do? We're like, i got a great idea. I'll just study all nine. I mean, I'm going to just cram like 12 hours into one sitting. That's as much as I would normally study anyway. I'll put 12 hours in. So you start, right? And you get your, you have the usual suspects, coffee with you in a big thermos, right? You, you somewhere along the way have an expectation. Waffle House will be there about 3 a.m. And there'll be lots of people there, Right? Back in the day, I'm sure this is terrible stuff, but you probably took like no-dos back when I was in college, those caffeine pills, right? Some of you smoke cigarettes, don't lie, to keep you awake. And you would sit there like, whatever it was, like we've got to stay awake, right? Because in the moment, what did you feel? You felt weight. You felt pressure. You felt anxiety even sometimes. And you felt the urgency of the moment. Hear that phrase. Listen. The urgency of the moment. And so in this, you devoted, right, an extra time of uh, focused time, of of focused energy, just amped up on caffeine, right? I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to test this. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, right. It's like this whole dynamic's going down. And you're you're pulling the all-nighter because 
Out here is something that causes weight and urgency, and you're preparing and devoting yourself to it. Jesus is pulling an all-niner. Now, he did not smoke cigarettes. And I don't know if he took any caffeine. I have no idea, right? But in what we see in verse 12, it says, in these days. Like when you read scripture and you see a phrase like these days, that means something. Like in these days, it's not just like... In these days, in the context of all that's going on, in in these days, Jesus pulled an all-niner. And that should make you stop when you're reading your Bible and just sit there for a moment. Listen, it's completely fine to to do it, like to open your Bible and read in these days and stop and stay there for a week. It's completely fine. Jesus is, listen, Jesus' goal for you is not to read the Bible in the entire year. The goal of Jesus, although that's okay, the goal of Jesus is simply to listen and hear his voice. And so if I read in these days, and I stay there for a week, it's good. So, so what are these days? Like, what's going on in the life of Jesus that would cause him to pull an all-niner? So I'm just going to name three things that I kind of read, and there's probably others that you can pull out because you're smarter than me, right? Number one, you see opposition. We know in chapter 4, Jesus says, he opened that scroll to Isaiah 61, said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom to the captives, set the oppressed free, right? Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he said, oh, by the way, I'm about to offend your religiosity. And he tells them, you're not really ultimately the poor. Here are the poor. You've been called to them and you're not going. The scripture says, and they got so angry with him, they took him to the brow of the the edge of the cliff to throw him off for the purpose of killing him. You have to recognize. He, listen, he's in his hometown. These people know who he is. How do we know that? Because it says, the people were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Look at the, the, kind, the great words that he says. These are Jesus' neighbors and people he grew up with. It's his doctor. It's his dentist. It's the guy who runs the gas station down the road that he talks to every time he goes in. It's the person at the local Starbucks, right? You're getting the perspective. It's people that he grew up with who know him and that he knows them. And they're like, oh, we're so angry with you. Even though you are our neighbor, I'm going to kill you. What? Could you imagine I'm pulled into my neighborhood today and all of my neighbors are out picketing saying, Kill Steve! Kill Steve! Kill Steve! Well, guess what? I'm probably not going to be feeling comfortable going to Seven Hills. Jesus, Luke 4, in these days. We just read in the last chapter, last couple chapters, Jesus is having some issues with the Pharisees. They don't like him. Verse 11 actually says in chapter 6, this is the literal previous verse to these days, but they, Pharisees, were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. A.K.A. Jewish Mafia. Right? Yo, what are we going to do with this Jesus guy? Just take him out. That's the goal, right? They kill him just a several chapters later. Right? Jewish mafia taken out. Jesus. I've never heard that. The Pharisees, I made it up. You're more than welcome to quote that sometime. So this is heavy stuff. I mean, literally. 
Could you imagine you feeling uncomfortable to go back to your neighborhood because people were trying to kill you because of what you said in obedience to the Father? Persecution? So Jesus is facing massive opposition. Okay? Number two, we see the choosing of the apostles. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Verse 13 says, He called His disciples and chose from them twelve who we named apostles. There are lots of disciples, right? I mean, maybe this whole room is disciples, right? And in Jesus in the moment, he pulls away with the Father. In the context of that time, maybe he's praying, but he recognizes this is the time from this group to pull out, oh, and it's like the first 12 people on this row, and these rows right here, and now you're going to be my disciples, Right? This is a pretty big deal because he recognizes the ramifications and the weight of what this means. These are the twelve who will stay put when I die. They will all die deaths, horrible deaths for my name. And they will be persecuted and they will be responsible for the kingdom message being preached in all Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Like, if I was about to call the 12 of you, and I knew that in about two and a half years I was going to die, and that then you ultimately would all die too, I'm not going to lie, that would be a little overwhelming for me. I care about all of you. Like, that would be, be bothersome. That's the young ones, right? I feel really bad for you, Right? You know what I mean? It would just be overwhelming. It would be too much, right? This is, oh, just, and so Jesus choosing his apostles, he's not saying, yeah, I'm choosing my team, choosing my buddies, I'm choosing those who are going to die for me. That's overwhelming. Third thing, it's a big step in ministry. Now has the 12. He's about to launch into a new phase of ministry. And it's going to be wonderfully difficult, hard, and victorious all at the same time. You see, there's these three things. Listen, and there are other things that you could pull out of it. I'm just pulling from, from these days. This is what I'm pulling out. And so Jesus in the moment, I want you to recognize there have been three things that I want you to see in the context of this. Number one, Jesus felt the urgency. No one goes and prays. No one no one disbands sleep, which is a gift from God, we said, right? No one disbands sleep to go to pull an all-nighter because it's fun and good times. No, you do it because it's something urgent. And so there's this urgency. There's this urgency of the moment. All of these, quote-unquote, like a big test. Something that causes weight. Something that causes pressure. Something that causes urgency of the moment that I want you to recognize that Jesus in His humanity feels the weight of. Please, listen. I mean, you think about the great schism that happened between the Greek Orthodox, right, the Eastern Church and the Western Church, right? Greek Orthodox over here in the Eastern, then you have the Roman Catholic Church over here who's the Western. If you've ever done these things in your history, you'll recognize it, their primary issue was their division, dividing point between the Godness of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, and His humanity, We've kind of landed in the, the godness of Jesus in the Western church, but in the, the Eastern church, they still have this high, high, high view of Jesus' humanity. Jesus who struggled. Jesus 
who suffered. Jesus who experienced temptation and trials of many kinds and who went through it in all the emotions and all the feelings just like you did. And so in the moment, you have to recognize Jesus felt urgency like every other human being who would in the moments who were like this when he pulled an all-nighter. Recognize I did not say Jesus wasn't strong. Notice I did not say that Jesus was weak in this moment because he was fully empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. But even in his empowerment, listen, this is important. He felt the gravity and the weight of the moments that he was living in like every other human being does in the world when they're facing something that lies ahead of them that's huge. The day I listen, I was excited to propose to Randall. I could not wait to hop on the airplane, fly to Omaha, Nebraska. I was leaving 70 degree weather to go to the Arctic tundra. It was 25 degrees and snowy, right? I did not want, I was, fishing was going well for me in the moment. And I had to leave it to go get engaged. So this is a pretty big deal. And I'm more excited about getting engaged than anything else. Everything's ready. I've talked to people. It's all set up. And I wake up that morning and the gravity and the weight of reality that everything in my life was about to change hit me in the moment. Oh, Jesus. Right. And I literally, this just sounds so bad. But I literally, I'm going to hear from you right now because I'm so freaking out. I opened up my Bible to Mark 10 that said, said divorce. I'm like, oh, crap. Right. I mean, literally. But then it goes down and says, and what Jesus puts together, it's the chapter on marriage. I'm like, you've got a great sense of humor. That was awesome. Right. Hop on the plane with this great story to tell. Right. And so in the moment, right, the gravity and the weight. Listen, how many of you were super excited about your children coming into the world, but you had the gravity and weight of reality moments somewhere along the way? And you went, oh my gosh, I'm responsible. And you almost threw up. Because you looked at them and said, if I don't feed them, they'll die. If I don't change them, they're going to stay in this all the rest of their life. They can hardly move. Oh, and I remember getting, the, I remember getting in our Ford Escape, and I remember this locking in at Catherine Inn, right, on the snowy roads of Omaha as we moved there, stupid, right? They moved to Omaha, right? And, and we're sitting there locking in. I remember driving and going, oh, crap, is she dead already? I mean, literally. I'm like, is she dead already? Did I already kill her? Did I put it in? Wrong? I mean, literally, the gravity and the weight of the moment. Listen, we had read all the books. I read a book on expectant fatherhood along the way, right? I mean, I was prepared. But the gravity and the weight of the moment in my humanity, recognizing this, this is worthy of an all-nighter. Olympic athletes prepare for three to four, I mean, for their entire lifetime. Some of them for a, like for 30 seconds of their career. And you know what happens when they get ready to go into their activity? They're all freaking out somewhere inside, even though they're fully prepared, fully capable and able. It's the urgency of the moment. Jesus, 100 percent human, feels the urgency of the moment and it propels him. It propels him. Number two, urgency led him to his dad. And I use the word dad here not to be weird or like ultra relevant. It's just because you understand that word better. How many of you ever go, oh, Father, when you see your dad? 
If I call my dad one time, I said, "Hello, father." He's like, "What in the world was that?" It weirded him out, right? And so, so when I say he went to his dad, I mean, urgency leads us to our dad. It leads us to our this moment of going to someone, someone who understands, someone who can help. In the urgency of the moment, I love this picture. He didn't just throw a prayer to say, hey, throw a prayer on, on, on the fly to God. No, he pulled away. He went to the mountain to ensure privacy. He plopped down with his dad and he talked and he talked and he talked and he dialogued and he corresponded until the wee hours of the morning. And if you can get beyond religion to see the heart of that and make it really practical it should move us to recognize that God is not this distant entity I pray to from a distance, that he's made himself near. He's drawn into my heart. He loves me with great compassion as a loving dad. And when I sit to dialogue with him, it excites him like it excites you when your children choose to push away something else to be with you. And He pulls away to be with his Dad. And the question we should ask, well, what did he pray about? And the reality is we really have no idea. You can't, it, 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 it's a mystery. It's silence. When the scripture is silent, you can do two things, right? You can do two things. You can either make something up, right? Or just, just leave it silent. So I like to make things up, right? Because it's more fun that way. Say, Jesus, with a sanctified mind and in your presence, I'm just going to let my mind wander about maybe what you were talking about, taking everything else in Scripture that I know about you in place. So I'm sure there's some worship, because this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But I came and said, I just love you, Dad. You are so, so awesome. I'm sure he said just like that, right? No, you're great. We are fantastic. You're all right. I'm sure he came in and had a time of them praying for other people's needs. I mean, he's Jesus. About 14 verses later in the Beatitudes, he says, pray for, those, pray for those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. So I bet he's probably taking some time and praying for the Pharisees. He's probably praying for all the people who have been mean to him in his own hometown. Because that just sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? I bet he's probably talking to the Father about the twelve. Going, oh my gosh. Oh, Peter. I mean, ugh. He's going to be a tough one. He thinks he knows more than I do. Oh, poor thing. You know how you pray to God about your own kids sometimes, right? Oh, I know you love them. Mm, bless them, Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're just having this, I'm sure he's having this dialogue with them. I'm sure he's going, Judas Iscariot. Awesome. Great choice. Right? There's this dialogue going down. I can't believe we're putting him part of the 12. I know his role. I bet he's probably thinking about the oppression and the persecution he's facing and recognizing this is a foreshadowing of, of what's to come. I bet he pay, prayed for the twelve. But he prayed for them. I bet he, his heart was broken to a degree over Judas Iscariot. I'm just, again, I'm just thinking about who he is. I wonder what he talked about with the Father. But we know that urgency led him to this place because he pulls an all-nighter because of the urgency. Which goes on down to then the reason he went. Because he needed his father because his father was his shelter. His father was his shelter. You all understand what a shelter is, right? Like you can have, like we were 
we play softball, and all of a sudden the clouds start rolling in, and lightning and thunder. We don't stand up with our aluminum bats going, woohoo, right? No, we seek shelter. We go into a little picnic area, and we find a place that's outside of the elements, that's outside of the rain. And the, and the thing about a shelter is the shelter is still in the middle of the storm, isn't it? I mean, the storm, the rain's all around us. I can get a smattering of it, I can feel the effects a little bit there, but I'm, I'm ultimately dry and I'm ultimately safe. And so Jesus, this father was his shelter. When I think of Jesus, I think about all of his powerful attributes, all of his omnis, right? His omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, right? All these omnis that make him all-knowing and all-powerful and all-strong and unwavering, make him faithful, all these beautiful pieces, right? But in doing so, we then forget sometimes that he was a human being, 100% emotional, an emotional human being who was tempted and tried in every way that we are, meaning he feels weight, he feels struggles, he feels sadness. As he came in Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Why did he do that? Because, because, because someone put onions underneath his eyes? No, because he was emotional. He felt the weight. He felt the gravity. He felt the longing. He felt... The West always tells us that feelings and our emotions are less than our logical understanding. And that's just not true. They're equal. Emotion and knowledge have to be intertwined. Tim Keller says we pray until our affections are awakened. I mean, how many of you pray until your affections are awakened? We pray, as followers, as shelter, there's weights, there's struggles, there's sadness. We are made in His image, in His likeness. We are like Him. So it is telling how He responds, right? He responds by running into the Father because the Father, Dad, was His shelter. Because, listen, we all understand this. When hell breaks loose in your life, do you always usually call someone Do you want to find someone who can help you? Someone you can share with? Listen, I've sat with some of you in my office, many of you on the phone just saying, I can't even say it. It's just so like, oh, I just got to share with somebody. We do that. Why? Because we run to these people because we have a problem. We need wisdom, encouragement, direction, support, courage, help, compassion. The list goes on and on. We run to them. David speaks of this in Psalms. He says in chapter 27, verse 5 of Psalm, Psalm 27, For he, God, will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me, guard me, protect me, cover me, right? Under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high, like out of the mess, lift me high upon a rock. Do you see the nature of David saying, oh, in the, in the turmoil, in the tension, I'll run into the shelter, Psalm thirty-one twenty. In the cover of your presence, you hide them, the people of God, from the plots of men. I love this one right here. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Like, do you ever have people say mean things about you? People like, just... With their words, keep on like going on and on and on and on about how bad you are and stupid you are and how all these things about you and how you're worthless and worth nothing and all those types. Like this, go on and on and on and on like under the strife of tongues. And he's saying, listen, when the strife of tongues continues to the, its onslaught, 
on and on and on. I will be like a shelter that shelters you from them. That, my friends, is the essence of Sabbath. It is the essence of rest. In the middle of this turmoil and tension, God says, "Mm, I've got you, bro. I got you. I am your shelter. I am your shelter. Jesus runs and we can't miss it. In the storms, Jesus turned to the Father as his shelter. He didn't just grin and bear it. He didn't just suck it up and keep on going on. He didn't grit his teeth and just plod on. He's listen, he stopped. He Sabbathed. He rested by going to the Father, his shelter. His refuge. Because the place, this place with the Father, is the source of energy, power, and rest for Jesus. Isn't it interesting that although Jesus was created, like I say, when Jesus was created as a human being, came to earth as a human being who had the need for sleep as a human being? said, well, as much as I need sleep, because I've been going all day long and healing all these people and casting out demons and walking miles, I ain't got no donkey, I'm just walking everywhere I go. You know, the best thing for my body tonight is not to rest physically. It's to, it's to Sabbath rest in complete awakeness in the presence of Father, in the presence of my dad. Isn't it interesting that the greatest thing that he needed for his physical Abilities was not physical rest, but a Sabbath rest fully awake. Speaks to our need and the sustaining nature, life-giving nature of what only Jesus can bring. I even love in the context of, of, of Jesus' life, here in Luke, we see a progression of prayer. The first time we hear Jesus praying, it's in chapter 3, verse 12. It says that Jesus was praying when he was baptized. Then it progressed when ministry started and multitudes began showing up and his exposure increased. It says in chapter 5, verse 16, he would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Didn't always, but he would often slip away into the wilderness. And then when it came time for all of these weights, it said in Jesus, I mean, I've got to pull an all-nighter. I've got to stay up all night. Because the idea, and hear this, the idea is very simple. The more, more things ante up in our life, the more we need Jesus. The more busy we become, the more overwhelmed we come with life, the, the more difficult things get, the more our need for God's Sabbath rest increases. Which basically would say that God's, your time with Jesus yesterday will not suffice for your time with Jesus tomorrow. Your relationship with Jesus as an adolescent will not carry you all the way on to mature adulthood in your time with him. Jesus' prayer life in three chapters multiplied in its intensity and increased. So the thoughts we end with this morning, they're pretty simple. Number one, you could probably tell these back to me. Hey, Jesus felt urgency. 
He's our model, and by God, we're going to feel urgency too, aren't we? All of us, we feel urgency this week. Something happens. Someone said something. Something in life caused you to go, oh, urgency of the moment. Something occurred. Something overwhelmed you. Something was said. Something was done. Something you went, oh my gosh, I forgot that. Something became too much for you. We as human beings, we live in the context of issues arising where we feel urgency all the time. So therefore, number two, our urgency demands time with the Father. It demands time with dad. And some of us don't like the word demand because we like our freedoms. We don't like being told we have to do what we need to do. But I'm telling you, demand is one of those things you understand because you get hungry and your stomach is demanding to be fed. You get tired and your body's like, I'm gonna, I'm demanding you sleep because I can't function anymore, right? We, we are demanded of things all the time and our sense of urgency demands time with the Father. If Jesus is our model and in his humanity felt urgency to be with Dad, then we will also. And then the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, in those moments of urgency, what do I do? Right? Like in the moments, I get to ask these questions to yourself. In the moments of urgency, how do you respond? And what I find is if I'm not giving the best of myself in time with Jesus, and I'm just throwing up a prayer on the fly, then what I'm telling God is, I've got this. And then... The byproduct of that is always the same. Frustration, anxiety, worry, fear, whatever your thing is, right? Because we recognize that we turn to something in the midst of this moment. What do we turn to in these moments do we, to alleviate weight? Do we turn to TV and just kind of chill out? How does that work for us the next day? Or maybe we turn to friends, and then we sit there in a group of people that are our friends and feel completely isolated and alone. Or maybe we turn to our, our hobbies until they stop satisfying. Or maybe we turn to pornography because let's just escape. Maybe we turn to, to food because it just, that just gratifies me for a moment. I've got to gratify some longing in my, in my, inside of me, right? And so we turn to something to gratify and basically, all of these things that are not Jesus are like McDonald's, aren't they? It's like we eat McDonald's because it fills us, and then we feel awful three hours later. It never satisfies. We want to get it out of us. The same is true. Our urgency demands time with the Father, and we have to be aware of what we're doing with that urgency. Because number three, only God is our refuge. Only God is our shelter. Only God, listen, this is important. Only God is designed to be our Sabbath. He is the only Sabbath. He is the only rest. He designed us to say the only rest that ultimately satisfies in your life is 
me, and I've designed everything else to be McDonald's. A refuge functions as the eye of a storm, and we will still be in the midst of a storm, but it does not define our existence. He is our refuge, a very present help in the times of troubles. But here is the caveat. A a refuge and a shelter is something that you have to run into. Like, I can stand up there with an aluminum bat, sitting up there going, this is awesome, storm! I just was so wet! Oh my gosh, I'm so miserable! God! It's like, I'm not ever here, there's a shelter. Just run into me! Run into the shelter! Just the storm is going like this! Just jump into the eye of the storm! I am present, I am capable, and I have said, come to me! All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I might just, if you're lucky, do the right thing, give you a little bit of rest. He does not say that. Although we believe the lie of the enemy all day, it's what he means. No, what he says is what he means. I, by God, who I am, I commit, I will give you rest. I have been designed to give you Sabbath. Only I can run into me. Stay up. And pull all nighter. Stay up and pursue me fast and pray and worship. I don't care. To come in confidence, not to earn something, but to come saying, Dad, I need you. Listen, it's okay to come to God whining and complaining. God, I'm just struggling so much. Please help me. This is too much for me to bear. He says, I know. Silly. I know. I know. How do we know if we're in the shelter of his wing? How do we know that we are hiding in his refuge? When in these moments of storm and tension, we are able to find peace and rest. We know it, and hear this, when our lives are marked by the presence of God. Steve, what does the presence of God look like? Well, you will... Exhibit and experience love, joy. You'll exhibit and experience. Exhibit means I'm showing somebody else, right? You'll exhibit and experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Steve, so you're telling me that if I am hiding in the presence of his wing, if I am in his refuge, my life will be marked by the fruit of his presence. And I would say, yes. Because God can only produce who he is. And when we're in his life, we know that we are doing a great job of hiding and sabbathing and resting and sheltering his presence when my children say, Dad, you were so patient today. When my person who hates me at my job says, I still hate you, but I don't understand how you can act this peaceful. That people around you will experience the fruit of your presence in his presence. How do we know that in the busyness that I'm doing a good job of resting in his presence, I will experience and exhibit the fruit of his presence? Jesus found Sabbath in God. Rest wasn't enough for his physical body. He needed the rest of the Father's 
presence. He is our model. And we have to do this paradoxical shift of saying the busier I become, the more I stop and rest. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we love you. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We praise you, Father, that we, when we come in in this moment, that God, it is very clear that you are not unaware of our shortcomings. You are not unaware of our busyness. You are not unaware, like we're not fooling you if we're in your presence or not. We're not fooling you if we're actually resting in you. And so, Father, today I know this message. This message is a message of hope. It's not a message of condemnation. There's no condemnation. Jesus, right now, you were, you were looking with longing. I want you to hear this as I pray, guys. I feel like God's saying, he's looking at us with longing. He's looking at us with great desire to be intimate, to relate. He looks with great longing to come and to bring us rest and to give us Sabbath. He's not looking at us laying these things out to condemn us, make us feel better. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm just painting the picture of, of, of what you believe is not true. If you'd shift and now just come and pull an all-nighter. Come and just shift and give yourself and let me just wash you clean. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Father God, you're not looking for us to prove anything. You're simply saying, run into me. Look to me. Run to me. Run to me. Bring everything to me. Don't look anywhere else. Stop eating McDonald's and give yourself to me. So Jesus, we need you this morning. I thank you that you are present to be had. Pray this in Jesus' name. This morning, we have our offering.